Amen, amen. Um, if you have your Bibles, why don't you open <clears throat> to, the, um, to the book of John. And I want to take some time in this chapter over the next um, bit here. Uh, maybe, I don't know, the few, next few times I speak. I want to share um, something that the Lord's just been really speaking to my heart. And um, I'm going to use my, old, my grandpa's old Bible here tonight. Maybe it'll help me preach. So John chapter 12, and uh, there's, there's some um, really great stuff here. I know Pastor, he preaches so many times out of the book of John. We love the book of John. There's so many great things, I think, to, to see there and to find there. And um, So I want to start in the 12th verse. <clears throat> I want to read just a little bit of, of text here. We're going to read down to the 23rd verse. So John 12, 12. If you're there, say amen. amen. <clears throat> On the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, O daughter of Zion, for behold, thy king cometh sitting on a donkey's colt. These things understood not his disciples at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. And the people, therefore, that was with him, when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they had heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevail nothing. Behold, the whole world is gone after him. <clears throat> and there were certain Greeks among them, that came up to worship at the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered, saying unto them, The hour is come, that the Son of Man should be glorified. I want you to look at that 21st verse again and the very last line. I want you to say that with me. Say, Sir, we would see Jesus. Lord, I ask you that you would help me to bring what you have placed within my heart. God, I can say nothing. I can do nothing. But your spirit accomplishes everything it intends to do. Lord, and so I pray that you prepare us to receive, God, that we would hear your word and be grown by it and be changed by it. And we're going to give you all the glory and everybody say amen. I want to talk to you tonight. We would see Jesus. It's a text I've never heard preached on before. And... Some weeks ago, I was reading this passage, and it just jumped out at me. I was thinking it would have been a sight to be in Jerusalem on that day. Pastors talked about this at different times, how interesting it would have been 
to be there and to see uh, what was happening. Um, the Passover has caused hundreds of thousands of people to be gathered there. We know that they were required to come on the feast days. And uh, this is a major feast. And so there's, there's just thousands and thousands and thousands of people that have begun to gather. Coupled with that, Jesus has recently raised Lazarus from the dead. And so that story, that uh, news is getting around. And we just read that people are even coming, especially because this has just happened. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of things happening. The houses are filled the guest houses are filled. People are staying around the town and, and in the hillsides. You're going to see people gathered everywhere, camped out there for this celebration. It was a celebration of the Passover. And yes, it was a celebration. It was the time, remember, that the Lord delivered them from Egypt by setting them free through the blood of the Lamb being applied to the doorposts of their house by which the angel of the Lord, that was the death angel, passed over those who had the blood applied. Now, we could preach on that, and a lot of people have. And that's a great message, a great thought. And I love that, that it is a personal thing, that when we allow the blood of the Lamb to be applied to our life, then the death is no longer there. And there is life uh, as abundance because of uh, us allowing the blood of Jesus to be applied to us. And we're thankful for that, but that's not what I'm preaching tonight. But they're celebrating. They're there to remember. God had instructed them to never forget what has happened in this time. And so they're there for this cause. To remember that he had delivered them from Egypt and that he had set them free. And that they were to never forget this. And so every year they had to celebrate this time. The ritual that is going on is, is a, a, a lot. There's a lot of ritual. There's... A, there's a tremendous amount of preparation and, and there's got to be a lamb for every house and they're all supposed to do the Seder dinner and they're, they're preparing all this. But then there's also this time of, of, of more of a national worship and sacrifice that's going on at the temple level. And so there's all kinds of preparation. There's all kinds of, of let's say, festivity and there's ritual and it would have been amazing to see that Jesus is coming from Bethany and he's riding down the Mount of Olives. And I could have shown you a picture, but you could look something up. But from the Mount of Olives, they now have it all paved and supposedly where Jesus was and who knows where he actually exactly came down. But from that Mount of Olives, you can clearly see the Dome of the Rock now in Jerusalem. That's kind of known. It's funny that it's known for that because that's not a, a Jewish thing. That's a Muslim thing, but you can clearly see that, which is where the temple was. And so because you can clearly see that, it was evident that the priest, all of the religious leaders, all of those around the temple would have been able to look from that temple, look up on that mountain and see the commotion. And there was a commotion. Jesus told his disciples to go and to get a, a colt of a donkey that had never been saddled before. Now that is an amazing thing in and of itself. Any of you ever ridden a horse? I've ridden broke horses that I was a little scared to get on. I wouldn't want to get on one. I'm not a, I'm not a cowboy enough to rodeo yet. So, um, but Jesus has them go and get this, this colt that's never been sat on. 
and it's fulfilling the scripture. Not only, I thought this was interesting, and you could look this up. I could, maybe you could, I could preach it sometime or something, but something that I didn't have time for. But Genesis chapter 49, when, uh, when he, Jacob prophesies over, over Judah, he says of Judah that, that there is this, there's going to be a tying of the donkey to the vine. And a, and a young donkey to the choice vine. It's kind of an interesting um, you know, insight into that this is very prophetic. Not only is it in other passages, in, in these other uh, areas, but it's also in that book of Genesis speaking of this happening. So Jesus has saddled or sat upon this, this colt, and he is descending down the Mount of Olives. As he's doing that, they're throwing their coats. You can see this in Matthew 21, the account also in Luke, and you get a few different um, uh, perspectives. They're throwing their coats down for the, for the donkey to, to walk down upon. And while they're doing that, this praise begins to rise. And they begin to, to shout out, Blessed is the King of Israel who comes in the name of the Lord. Now this is really offensive to the Jewish hierarchy. Really frustrating as, as they hear this, this tumult. And, and in fact, uh, I think it is in the book of Matthew, it says that they begin to cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But it's creating a, such a stir that literally some of the Pharisees make their way into the crowd and say to Jesus, will you tell your, your uh, people here to stop this? We're doing important things. <laughs> this is getting loud. There's thousands of people now as he begins to come down that path that are shouting praise to God. And it is literally disrupting the religious ritual that's happening. And Jesus obviously goes on to say, if I tell them to stop, then the rocks and the trees will cry out. Uh, he is so worthy of praise. He's so worthy of honor. But it would have been a... A really interesting thing to see. There's some things in the scripture that I would have liked to have been a part of. To, to just catch a glimpse of. Um, and I think this is one of them. This is a time that, that it, they call it the triumphal entry or triumphant entry. So now this is the point though where it gets really interesting to me. And this is the portion of scripture that really jumped out at me. All of this evidence, all of this prophecy... It's blowing my mind. I was sharing with Chris and I watched some testimonies of some Jews that have recently been saved. And I am, I am shocked at the blindness that is upon their eyes concerning Jesus. Because I don't come from a Jewish culture. We come from, a, you know, as much as America really isn't a Christian nation anymore, we don't honor God as a country but we come from at least a heritage where most people are Christian and not Jewish. And so for me, it's pretty easy to see Jesus. One, we believe in the New Testament and it's all over there. But then we, because of the New Testament, we have example here where it points back and it says, and this is said because of the prophet who said this was going to happen. And later on again it says, it's speaking of Isaiah 53. So we have these kind of telltale signs. But what is amazing to me is how that the Jews are so blinded to the evidence. And in fact, the scripture says 
that even to this day, when Moses is read, that their eyes are blinded, that they may not see. It's kind of disturbed me a bit. It's given me, uh, you know, you, you, it's sad because when you see somebody blind, the medical science has not figured out how to cure the blind. We, we, we can't really do much for people who are blind. God can heal, and we know that's true. But medicine, in all these years, we've figured out how to do a lot of things. We've figured out how to take hearts out of people's chest, fix them, and put back in. I mean, that's pretty crazy. But we can't do much with blindness. And it's, it's a sad condition because of so little that we can do. And, it, and that's how, kind of how I'm, I've been feeling for the last month. I, I have this newfound respect for understanding that their eyes have been completely closed. That they would not see the glorious gospel and the prophecies concerning Jesus. So all these prophecies are being fulfilled right before their eyes. The leaders certainly would have known these messianic prophecies that, that would, would be being fulfilled in front of them in Christ, that, that he would descend on this donkey. They, they would have known that, but they're ignoring it. They're, they're putting it out. They're dispelling the prophecy, refusing it and rejecting it. But there were some Gentiles I don't know why they're there. There's different, different theories, whether they were proselytes who had become Jews, and as a result, uh, you know, Jews by being baptized into the Judaism, into the faith, and now they were worshiping in that way. They could have been servants that had come up with the Jews that were just around there. They were forced to be there. Or they could have come just because of the fame, not really even knowing anything about Judaism, but hearing about Jesus, which I don't know which of those three it could be. It could be even others. I don't know. But for some reason, the Jews have completely ignored this entry of Jesus, but some Greeks, some Gentiles. This isn't so much about nationality as much as it is that they are not Jews. That's really what it's trying to describe here. That they have come and they have an agenda. And their agenda is clear. They speak, these Gentiles, to the very heart of Passover. They speak to the very heart of faith. They speak to the very heart of salvation when they come to Philip and say to him, Sir, we would see Jesus. I was thinking there was a lot of different guys they could have wanted to see. How about the the chief Pharisee, the head of the Pharisees, the head of the, the lawyers who understood the Scripture and knew the law. You know, and this is a big event, and, and you're looking for somebody important here. They could have been looking for him. They could have been looking for the head of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council who's determining right and wrong. And Man, that would have been kind of an important person to see. How about Caiaphas, the high priest? That's a pretty important figure. They could have been looking for him. Because in all of this ritual, those people would have played roles. Those people would have been important. Those people would have been revered and looked up to. And yet, Jesus really is only being sought after because of the miracles. But something grabs their heart and gets a hold of them to the point that they recognize that this is, this is somebody that I need to see. In the heart of all the religion, 
This is somebody I need to see. So the Gentiles get Philip. Philip goes and gets Andrew. Philip and Andrew both go and tell Jesus, hey, there are some Gentiles who want to see you. And Jesus' response here is really intriguing to me. He says, now the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And then he ends this, this dialogue down a few verses later and he says, and if I be lifted up, then I will draw all men unto me. I don't know for a fact, I, I wasn't able, so I don't want to say it as a fact, but I believe this is, this is clearly in my mind, it jumps to my mind, as the, as the first time that Gentiles came looking for Jesus. People who were completely not Jews, people who didn't have scriptural reason to find him, and people who didn't have uh, cultural background to look for his heritage, but these men... Just seeing who he was, hearing what he had done, something about what he was struck them to the point that they said, I want to see Jesus. We need to see Jesus. Right now, for some reason, there's something stirring. And the result of that is that Jesus says, and now the Son of Man will be glorified. And if I be lifted up, there is something about us seeking him. There is something, we, we hear a lot of people talking about the glory of the Lord. But it really, it is in the seeking of Jesus that we find him glorified. I'm not looking for his glory, I'm looking for him. People talking about the glory clouds and the residue. Or hearing about portals where heaven is open over certain areas. No, I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for Jesus. That's what we want to find. That's what we're looking for. I know we're preaching to the choir here. We've been preaching this for a lot of years. But right there, in the middle of all this ritual, with a lot of MOGs, not emojis, but men of God, that whole syndrome of important people who've got something to bring to you because they pastor a large church. They're the leaders. They're going to put together the Passover. And man, they're going to show you how to, how to do the lamb the right way. And they're going to show you how to walk the right way. And they're going to tell you all the details of the Passover. There's a lot of people they could have found, but they found Jesus. A lot of people today in a lot of churches are not satisfied with finding Jesus. I, I saw this, um, I watched this little expose on Benny Hinn the other day. Uh, that, that probably could be like an eight-hour program. So disgusting what he has done through the years. But I watched, I saw this picture in the middle of it where he is signing papers. And pe he's standing up on a stage like this and people are just like this underneath him. And, I, I, and I'm, I'm bothered. <laughs> Sir? We would see Benny Hinn. We want to see the big preachers. Talk, give me T.D. Jakes. Give me Bill Johnson. Give me somebody important. Stephen Furtick, he seems to be really important. Help me to find somebody who can really get me to the glory of God. And somehow in the midst of all of the religion, America is a deeply religious culture. 
possibly one of, one of the more religious cultures ever to exist. And yet, so few people ever are brought to the revelation of who Jesus is. And these verses jumped out at me. I want to read to you if you follow along with me because I think they're important. Underline them in your Bible. John chapter 6 and verse 40. Everybody's talking about the will of God and wanting to know the will of God and what is the will of God. And let me tell you what the will of God and this is the will of him that sent me that everyone seeth the Son. That's the will of God. The will of God is that you see Jesus. The Lord put a few words in my heart about a month ago. As I'm reading in the mornings, I keep a paper notebook there so that I can just write down things if you know they come to me and I visit them later. And every morning for the last month, this is just these words keep coming back to me over and over again. And it's simple, it's this: salvation is 100 percent about seeing Jesus. It's not about sin. It's not about justification, sanctification, water baptism. It's not about rights and wrongs. It's about seeing Jesus. I can tell you you're a sinner. I can convince you of your problems. I can baptize you in Jesus' name. I can get you to speak in tongues. And you can split hell wide open. Unless you get a revelation of who Jesus is, one, you don't know what salvation is. Two, your life will never be changed and you will still be bound in your sin. So those words keep ringing in my heart over and over again. Salvation is 100% about seeing Jesus. This is the will of him that sent me, that you would see the Son, and believe on Him and have everlasting life. That's the will of God for your life. Well, I, I need to know what God's plan is for me. I got God's plan for you. See Jesus. You don't need to know the details of your life. Everybody wants the details so we can prepare. Everybody wants the details so that we can take confidence in what's coming at us. But what you need is not the details. What you need is Jesus. Because regardless of what's coming, whether good or bad, if I've got Jesus at the center and the forefront and the focus of my life, then I'm going to be okay. I know I'm stating the obvious, but I'm going to have to state the obvious tonight. 2 Corinthians, flip there really quickly. I got a couple of verses to read here. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. <clears throat> but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. If you do not see Jesus, you cannot be changed. John said, when we behold him, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. Now, a lot of people are putting that off in heaven, but I'm going to tell you what the reason Jesus is so important for our life is because he was God in the flesh and he showed us not how to live as God, but how to live as man. 
I can't ever live as God. But I walk every day in this life as a man. And I needed somebody to show me how to please my father in walking in this flesh. So if we don't see Jesus in this world, if we don't see Jesus revealed in preaching and in reading the scripture, then we are going to walk unchanged. We're going to walk around in the pit, in the misery, in the mire, in the sin, and in the bondage. But Jesus sets you free. Seeing him is the changing of your life. Why has pastor labored for 26 years in this church trying to reveal Christ? Because if you can get an image of who Jesus is in your heart, it will change the inside of you. And you will be transformed by that image that you see of Christ. Look at the next chapter over, the fourth chapter and the sixth verse. For God... Who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You can't see what's covered in darkness. And the scripture describes God as being a spirit and as being invisible. And there is no way to see him except in Jesus Christ. The full revelation of everything God is, is found in Jesus. So go back two verses to the fourth verse. And this is why that the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. I'm going to give you a little insight here. Satan's not bothered by religion. Satan's not bothered by you going to church. He's not worried about your worship. I know we think, well, he's trying to steal my praise. No, he's really not that worried about your worship. He's trying to blind your eyes so that you can't see Jesus. That's what he's trying to do. If there is one thing that will cripple you, that will disable you, and will kick you out of the faith, it's when you lose the image of who Jesus is. When you lose the revelation of Christ, you no longer walk with him. When you lose sight of Jesus, you are walking in darkness because he is the light. I love Acts 4.12 because it says, Neither is there salvation in any other. Salvation is in Jesus. Salvation is in seeing Jesus. So when I think about all of the ceremony and all of the religiosity that's going on in Jerusalem in that day, it reminds me of a couple of things. Now everybody, buckle your seatbelts because I'm going to make everybody at some point mad. Everybody's going to, not in this church, everybody who might be listening, I was giving them a warning. Seeking to see Jesus and his glory is what is missing from the church. You can say a prayer 
and you can mean it with all your heart, but unless you see Jesus for who he is, there is no salvation for you. There's a lot of preaching that's missing the mark. And Satan's not bothered by it. In fact, I, I'm going to go to the point where I think that Satan might possibly be inspiring some preaching that's going on from America's pulpits. Because it's certainly not coming from Scripture. And it's not coming from God. I don't know where it's coming from, but it's not, it's not doctrinally sound whatsoever. But let me tell you this. Preach grace. Go ahead. Preach it a lot. Talk about it all the time. Speak about how God doesn't care about how you live. Talk about the mercy that allows you to wallow in your filth and leaves you in the mire and the shackles of your sin. Preach God is love. How that he could not love you more no matter what you do. How that if you, if you murdered or if you molested or if you just lived a life that was clean, that God loves everybody the same. Preach it. Preach that how you live has nothing to do with your salvation. Satan will not only allow it, but he will applaud it. Just as long as you never direct people to the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm literally praying for a revival to break out in these churches. That the cry would go out from the people. Preacher, we would see Jesus. Satan's not worried about your ceremony. Satan's not bothered by your sacrifice. This is a, a tough one. Go ahead. Preach about dress line, clothesline. Become a clothesline preacher. Preach about how women need to wear dresses. Say it's about distinction when in fact all of the people in the Bible wore robes. That's a side note there. Preach about it a lot. Make it really important. Preach about how that when you take a piece of cloth and you sew it between your legs, it becomes sinful for a woman. Preach that. It's a great line. Really focus on that. Go ahead. Preach about women not cutting their hair and how men need to shave when Jesus had a beard. Preach it. Preach it a lot. Go ahead. Preach against owning television. Satan will leave you alone. Satan is not bothered by any of this supposed sacrifice. Make it really important. Preach about water baptism. Preach about how that you cannot be saved and how the blood of Jesus is not applicable to your life without water. Preach that. Preach it a lot. Preach about Holy Ghost experience. Preach about how you've got to speak in tongues or you're not saved. Satan's going to leave you alone. Satan's not bothered by your sacrifice. There were people sacrificing all over Jerusalem on that day. Satan's not bothered by your sacrifice. In fact, the more we take the focus off of Jesus, the happier Satan is. I know 
You say, Pastor Rodney, you're on a hobby horse. You're just on this all the time. Because I've shared so many times, I grew up in it. And let me tell you something. Anybody who tries to make your faith about something that isn't about following Jesus, that's about a work, and I am absolutely for modesty. And what Pastor said today, that when we are saved, we cannot be saved by works. But there are works that follow the salvation in our life. I'm 100% for that. But when you begin to focus on those things and say, this has something to do with your salvation, you've taken the focus off of where it belongs. And I don't want to say that's satanically inspired. I don't want to go quite that far, but I'm not sure. Because any message that takes your eyes off of Jesus and puts it on to something you're doing is a message that's a problem for you. It's a problem. I've talked to my girls so many times. They have a lot of friends. And I don't mean to knock. I don't have any problem with a woman wearing a dress every day the rest of her life. She wants to. That's, I have no problem with that. I'm 100% for modesty. But I've told the girls so many times, you've got to weed through this, girls. You've got a lot of friends, and, and, and they're, they're under that oppression. And, and I've tried to tell them, listen, I don't have any problem with it. But when it becomes important... There's something wrong. When it becomes a focus, there's something wrong. Because you can't focus on Jesus and focus on anything else. You get Jesus in your heart, modesty will take care of itself. Yeah, we may have to have some of the men, older men and the older women come along and say, Hey, sis, hey, hey, brother, that's, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's pick that up a little bit. That's not that good. Showing off too much body. Yeah, we might have to have some encouragement just because we're young and we don't know. But it's not the focus of our life. Because I've been around way too many people who had the tongue-talking, water baptism, run-around-the-church experience who looked so holy that were full of the devil. I've been around too many of them. I can't focus on it. I'm praying for a revival I really am. In our brothers in the apostolic movement. That there would be a redirection. And that the message from the pulpits would inspire a response from the pews that says, Preacher, we would see Jesus. We would see Jesus. Here's what bothers me so much about this. And I've looked. I'm trying to find kindred spirits in the apostolic movement. In the 1920s, when the apostolic movement broke off from the assemblies in the Pentecostal Church of God, it was over the fact that that the assemblies in the Pentecostal churches wouldn't preach Jesus as the full revelation of God. And so these apostolic churches got out and they began to preach God in Christ Jesus. That's what they were preaching. They were proclaiming salvation in Jesus alone. The fullness of the Godhead dwelled in him. This is their message. And now what is it? Now it's about baptism and speaking in tongues. Anything that gets your eyes off of Jesus is a problem for you. Now all the apostolic people will be breathe a sigh of relief. We've moved on. Preach about a tripersonal Godhead. Preach about Jesus being a junior God. Just a son that points to the Father. Preach that he's only a part, but never the fullness. 
Preach doctrinal points that are absent from Scripture that were contrived 300 years after Jesus and the apostles, and Satan will applaud you. Preach that Jesus is second in priority. Make him, leave him as a son, but never as the father. Preach that he is wonderful and that he is counselor, but never touch that he is mighty God and everlasting father. I'm praying for revival in our brothers in the Trinitarian movement. A revival of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. And a focus shifting. See, sometimes we just get out of focus. Anybody say you ever just get out of focus? You're home sometimes. You just get off a little bit with your wife or off a little bit with your husband or your children. And you just got to have something that redirects the focus. I'm praying for a revival. I'm not talking about massive numbers of people coming in. I'm talking about an awakening to happen within the churches of America where people actually in the churches get saved. Where the revelation of Christ is preached. And whether it's in the apostolic movement or the Trinitarian movement or, or the um, emergent church movement. That some people would be seeing who Jesus is and that there would be salvation. That message would be being proclaimed. This is why we can be brothers with people who do not agree with everything we agree with. Because really it all boils down to do we see Jesus? Do we see him for who he is? That's what we've got to do. Oh, I know. Preach woke culturalism. Preach a social gospel. Preach how I need to apologize for being white. How I need to repent for sins I did not commit. Preach reparations. Preach that all lives, in fact, do not matter. In fact, preach racism. Preach that I need to treat people differently based on the color of their skin. Instead of treating everybody with the same dignity and honor that God instructs me to treat all men with based upon the character of their heart. Make sure you pander to popular culture. Especially if you've got a big church. Satan's going to give you a standing ovation. I can see him in all these woke churches standing at the back of the church. I can see Satan back there. He's leading the hand claps. You know why? Because nobody is saved in that mess. Nobody is delivered from sin when that's what's being preached. Nobody's set free from bondage. Nobody is delivered and healed from their pain when that's the message. Satan loves that message. He loves every message, but the message of Jesus Christ. I'm praying for a revival to awaken in the pop culture church. Something that will stir within the people and they will begin to cry out, Stop preaching race. Stop dividing us. Stop trying to pander to us. Stop telling us what you think we want to hear. And somebody, please bring me to Jesus. Now let me tell you what Satan does not want you to preach. He doesn't want going out from the pulpits in America. 
Grow up and stop being a victim. Let me show you the Jesus who heals the wounds and the pains and the injustices that have been done against you. You don't want that message being preached. It blows me away. Men that I have respected as I watch them fall into the abyss of this pit of wokeism. Trying to make people feel better about the issues in their life instead of showing them the Jesus who takes the issues away. Frankly, I don't want somebody coming along and giving me some salve to put on the, on the sores that are a result of the chains and the bondage of sin in my life. Somebody come along with a key and take the shackles off my wrist and the wounds are going to heal. We don't need the pandering. I got a message Satan doesn't want to hear. Stop making excuses for the failures in your life. Stop blaming your surroundings and your environment and your race for your problems. If you will look to Jesus, he will deliver you from the sins of all of our fathers. I don't care if you're brown or black or white or yellow or polka dotted. The answer is the same for every nation, tribe, and tongue. Here's Jesus. That's the answer. Yes, this is the message that we need to preach. Satan doesn't want to hear this one. God wants modesty in your life. But you can set a dress code and you can follow a certain order of rules and you can split hell wide open. With your dress to the ground and your hair with it too. If you don't walk in the revelation of who Jesus is. I'm not opposed to any of those things. Again, you have a conviction about something, you, you want to live, you say, you know what, TV's been a terrible thing in my life. I, I, I've watched too much filth and I don't even want it in my home. Fine. Absolutely, get rid of it. But don't think it has anything to do with salvation. Don't make it a, a doctrinal salvation point. Don't look at everybody else who didn't have that same problem and say, well, that's you. you you got to do this too i got to get on a tiny little hobby horse because I have a few extra minutes. I'm almost done. I shared with Dad, it so disturbed me. I heard this woman who's a pastor's wife of a huge um, holiness church, apostolic church in, in Texas, and she got up and she was speaking for an hour and just berating this whole dress code thing. I sat and listened to it, and it was just awful. It was awful. It was heavy. It was burdensome. And ultimately, it resulted in this. She begins to yell at the women coming into the church in pants. Now, I mean, we, I don't even want to get on that. But it says, you all, you women coming in here, and, and you're making my husband, who's the pastor of the church, lust. And I'm like, hold on a second. If your husband is lusting because he's got some lady in a pair of jeans, your husband has some issues going on. That Jesus needs to fix. It's not the problem of the woman. And I've heard that same thing over and over again. I'm thankful, and all you husbands better get ready to say amen. I'm thankful in this church we got a lot of pretty ladies. Because there's a lot of church they try to make their women look ugly. 
Because they're worried that their men can't keep their faithfulness. Faithfulness is a heart condition. Faithfulness happens when you see Jesus. That's where it happens. There's nothing that Satan can throw in front of you to make you be unfaithful. Nothing. When you get an image of who Jesus is, he is more precious than that. It is more, it is more glorious to follow him, to know him, to serve him, than to look at any other person than your, than your spouse. That comes from, the, from knowing who Jesus is. That comes from seeing his glory, from, from diving into his fullness. That doesn't come because you poke your eyeballs out. Jesus is the message. I've got another message Satan doesn't want being preached. Baptizing in Jesus' name is good. We do it. Speaking in tongues is biblical. Not opposed to it. But neither of them is proof of salvation. Get up and preach the message. I told you, Satan, gladly sit there and applaud you. Hey, you got to speak in tongues. Hey, you need to be water And Satan just, yes! Make it not about Jesus. The only salvation is when I take up my cross and I follow Jesus every day for the rest of my life, never looking back, keeping my eyes on the prize, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. That's the only salvation for my life. You can be baptized in Jesus' name. You can be filled with the, the, the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues and split hell wide open. That's no evidence. The evidence that you are saved, the evidence that you are reborn is a changed life. That I was once going my own direction. That I was once walking in darkness. But now, I walk in the light. That's the evidence. Satan doesn't want us preaching this. I know there are some who want to focus on the complexity of what they describe as the Godhead. But all the fullness dwells in Christ. He is the only image of the invisible God. His name is higher than any other name in the heavens or the earth, and neither is there salvation in any other. So I know there's a lot of people who want to focus on some things that we really can't even justify or explain. But the message is Jesus. Listen, I've shared with you this burning in my heart over the last few weeks. I, I, the Lord had put this in my heart, and I thought, you know, I, I don't know, maybe I'll sit on that for a while, but it is, it is burning within me. And I hope that, that this tonight, I, I didn't spend a tremendous amount of time on the glory of the Lord. We do that frequently, but I hope that you understand that there needs to be a refocus in your life every day, that you need to redirect your worship, that you need to make sure, just as it said in the book of Hebrews, that all worship was redirected to Him. We need to inspect and investigate. Are we looking for anything else? You're looking for a better home, looking for a nicer car, hoping that God will make that happen. 
When you're praying, are you praying for everything you want? Or are you asking the Lord, I want to see you, Jesus? Are you frustrated when pastors get up and preach and teachers get up and teach and they, they reveal Christ? And are you frustrated with that because you want something that's more evangelistic that you can shout to or run to or, or get excited about? Are you, are you tired of the message? Because I hope that it stirs inside of you the response tonight. Pastor Rodney, we would see Jesus. I don't care what happens in Echoes of Calvary. Echoes of Calvary's name, we don't care nothing about that. I don't care anything about our, our legacy. We're not, we believe in a, in a heritage. We're handing it down from generation to generation. We believe that. But what are we handing down? Jesus. I handed down anything but that. If you're tonight, agree with me and you say, that's me. I just want you to lift your hand to the Lord and say, Jesus, I want to see you. Lord, you're what we're looking for. Lord, you're everything that we could desire. Lord, all of the fullness of our life is found in you. In him, we live and move and have our being. Lord, and we need fresh revelation. If you want to, slip up your other hand and say, Lord, I need fresh revelation in my life of who you are. Jesus, I need to see you again and anew because I may be discouraged. I may be troubled in my spirit. I may be going through some difficult things and I could bring you up here tonight. I could have you raise your hand and we could pray over you and we do that. But I'm going to tell you the answer for whatever is ailing you is if you get your eyes on Jesus. And Lord, we want to give you all the glory. We give you access to move in our midst. God, we give you access. Lord, and we pray that you would send the hungry into this place. Lord, we've been unashamedly preaching your name and exalting you for years. And I don't care whether, whether your background was Baptist or Trinitarian or Apostolic or some other community church. God, I, there's a lot of people in this place that are hungry for you. Lord, and we pray that you continue to send those who want to see you. God, we want to be like Philip and Andrew. We want to know where you are. We want to know where we can point people to. And so, Jesus, give us fresh revelation of who you are. Help us to see the prophecies concerning you. And we will give you all the glory and all the praise. In your matchless name, amen. Pastor.